Nothing sets quality time to us quite like a road trip. And we love every part. The rest stops, the not-so-healthy snacks, the car games. It's all an adventure. We have a road trip coming up, and I'm so excited to just unplug from the world and connect with our kids. Penn, humor me for a second. Close your eyes and try to picture the perfect car for a road trip. Hmm, so I'm seeing like a massive amount of cargo space, you know, so that packing could be a little bit easier for you. And so kind of you. <laughs> well, thankfully, the perfect car is more than just a dream because the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has all that and so much more. And you can learn more at NissanUSA.com. And if you love road trips as much as we do, Check out the new season of Roundabout for stories about road trips, relationships, and the memories made along the way. Be sure to tune into our episode to hear more about the rest stop that taught Penn how to slow down on the hot fries. I still can't believe we told that story on a <laughs> on microphone. A microphone. Yep, we did. <laughs> season two is live now with episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Nothing says quality time to us quite like a road trip. And we love every part. The rest stops, the not-so-healthy snacks, the car games. It's all an adventure. We have a road trip coming up, and I'm so excited to just unplug from the world and connect with our kids. Penn, humor me for a second. Close your eyes and try to picture the perfect car for a road trip. Hmm, so I'm seeing like a massive amount of cargo space, you know, so that packing could be a little bit easier for you. And so kind of you. <laughs> well, thankfully, the perfect car is more than just a dream because the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has all that and so much more. And you can learn more at NissanUSA.com. And if you love road trips as much as we do, Check out the new season of Roundabout for stories about road trips, relationships, and the memories made along the way. Be sure to tune into our episode to hear more about the rest stop that taught Penn how to slow down on the hot fries. I still can't believe we told that story on a <laughs> on microphone. On a microphone. Yep, we did. <laughs> season two is live now with episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Kim Holderness. And I'm Penn Holderness. Welcome to the Holderness Family Podcast. Also, if you're listening to this the day that it drops, I like using that term, happy almost turkey day. Yes. And if you're joining us after that, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Yeah. How you feeling? How you feeling? Feeling good? Need to take a little, a little sleepy? A little tie tie? <laughs> we'll try to keep you awake for this one because this is an interesting episode. I could have talked to our guest for hours. And in fact, we hit stop and did keep talking to her to the point where I was like, I, at this point, I think we need to pay you. Venmo her some money because we were like squeaking out a free session afterwards. I know. Okay. But first, before we get to our guests, this time of year, there's a lot of good sales and deals that are happening. We're going to have sale on all items in our shop as well as sale on our game family face off. The best way for you to stay in the loop on those deals is to sign up for our newsletter. It's at theholdernessfamily.com slash newsletter. It's got not just those deals. It's got a lot of cool content. It's got blogs. It's got everything. It's going to help you out. Especially yeah. in the world of social media where even my mom, who's our yeah. number one fan, she's like, I don't see your stuff anymore. Yeah. Sign up for the newsletter. We are pumped about our guest today, Dr. Nicole Detling. And so listen, she is going to teach us a lot. We've already done the interview. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say right now that... A lot of her stuff hits very close to home, not just as someone who wants to perform as well as he can as a team member, but also as a parent. Mm -hmm. she, she, I think, specializes in these fantastic elite level athletes, but has this ability to apply her principles to people who work together, people who live together, 
And also, even though she doesn't really deal with a lot of, of uh, youth sports, man, we're, we're dealing with that a lot in our family. And she has tremendous insight for that as well. Okay. We should have told you in the beginning, she's a sports psychologist. Yes. And so she's applying those skills to everyday life, but also we get knee deep into what's happening to our young athletes right now. But just so you know, some of her creds, and I can't, I'm not even going to list them all. She's worked with 41 Olympic and Paralympic medalists, 19 world champions, three Super Bowl individual champions, three national champions, Pac-12 champs, to like there's 15 state champs. I mean, the list goes on. She is legit. So her official bio, let's give you that because she has earned every bit of this. Dr. Nicole Detling is a world-renowned sports psychologist, an expert on mental performance. She has been consulting athletes for 25 years. She is the founder of Headstrong Consulting, a sports psychology company focusing on improving performance through mental skills training. Nicole is a co-host of the podcast Becoming Headstrong and also co-authored Don't Leave Your Mind Behind, a book about how to become more mentally tough and the life benefits that will follow. She's appeared all over the place, NBC, ESPN, NPR, the Olympic Channel, all over the place. But now, more importantly, she's here. It's her crowning achievement. This is, I mean, this is going to be number one. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dr. Nicole Detling. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, People who listen to our show, they have heard us say this, that this is completely selfish on our part. So if we get really curious about things, I'm assuming the people listening to this are curious as well. Uh, But I want to back up to first get your background. What made you interested in sports psychology and what exactly is sports psychology? Oh, two amazing questions to begin with. (laughs) So amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I'll give you the shorter version of what got me interested, but I've been an athlete my entire life, played every sport I possibly could growing up, was even the first girl in my school to play football. So I played everything. I went on to college and I played basketball and ran track in college. So that's what I did the longest. And I was majoring in psychology and sports science, double majoring. And I kept thinking, man, there are elements of both of these that I like. But I can't, like, what am I going to do? Which one can I choose? What am I going to do? And my dad called me my junior year and said, did you know there's a field called sports psychology? (laughs) I said, what? No. And so this is going to date me, but you'll, I think that you're in this age category as well. So I go to the library. This is before Google. What? By the way, you're already dating yourself by saying you went to the library. Yes. (laughs) This is true. This is true. So no Google. I have to go to the library on campus. I go to the Dewey Decimal Card Catalog. Oh, Okay. <laughs> the Dewey. We had to take a test at some point I, on the Dewey. Decimal can I give system. the kids a quick just primer for Dewey Decimal? It's the numbers are from one to a thousand, and like one hundred to two hundred is something, it's and a then two hundred is something, yeah. and it's the only you had to memorize like what seven hundred to eight hundred was before oh, Google. Oh, it was insane. Yes, sorry, I had to take continue. a test on yeah. it. Anyway, go yeah, ahead. Continue. Yeah, totally. So I go to that system in my college library, and I begin searching, and sure enough, there were some books in our library about sports psychology, and. I fell in love instantly. I realized through just reading and learning about the field that I was my own biggest enemy on the basketball court. So Mm. I changed the way I was thinking. And the difference in my play from my junior to senior year was phenomenal. Now, I was not a phenomenal athlete. Let me... (laughs) Let me put that out there. But the difference and how much better I was when I just changed what I was thinking was insane to me. And I didn't even know what the heck I was doing. So 
fell in love with the field, went and got a master's, did an internship, got a PhD, started my own business, never looked back. 25 years later, here's where we are. What is sports psychology? Sports psychology, essentially, there's two branches within the field. And the easiest way to think about this is a continuum where you have mental illness, where somebody is really struggling with mental illness, perhaps they're suicidal, or perhaps they have eating disorders. And then the other end of the continuum is anchored by performance enhancement. So ultimate performance being your absolute best self performing at your best. In the middle there is normal functioning. So normal according to each one of us, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Whatever our normal is and what that looks like. If you've kind of gone down toward the continuum of the mental health, you're struggling, you would want to go see a licensed mental health therapist. And there are some who specialize in sports. And so they would be called sports psychologists. And you would go see someone for specifically to work on those mental health problems that you're having with the goal of getting you back to functioning at a normal basis, a normal level. Mm -hmm. My end is the opposite end of that, the other end of the continuum, where people come to me when they're already doing pretty well mentally, but they want to optimize their performance or optimize their mental health. We could look at it that way as well. So they want to perform at their best and they recognize that they might be holding themselves back because they don't quite know how to think. So it's learning to think right so that you can perform at your best. So going back to your story when you were in the library on the Dewey Decimal System, looking at microfiches and those weird wooden rods that held all the newspapers. Do you guys remember all those things? Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Remember the wooden rods? Okay. Um, So you you obviously discovered some pretty simple things. They had to be simple if you could apply them in a year and then quickly get better. So what were tell us as simply as you can those things that you discovered in that trip to the library that transformed your performance. Absolutely. So probably the biggest thing was the way I was talking to myself. So my Mm self-talk. So I would be on the line, the free throw line thinking, oh my gosh, don't miss this. Everybody's counting on you. Oh, you're Mm. such a bad free throw shooter. Oh, whatever you do, don't miss it. And that would obviously cause me to miss uh, (laughs) over and over and over again. So I didn't believe in myself as much as I could have in some parts of the game, where in other parts of the game, I totally believed in myself. I had full confidence as a defender. Bring that ball to me, baby. Let's go. I'm getting it from you. You are not getting past me. And that was the strongest part of my game. And so I was able to recognize how I spoke to myself, how I talked to myself in one area was really productive on the court and in another area was counterproductive. So I started to work on that self-talk Through that, my performance improved, which increased my confidence, Mm -hmm. which then gave me more fuel, essentially, to work on paying attention, being self-aware of what I was saying, when I was saying it, was it helping me, was it not helping me? And that's really where it started for me, was just that self-awareness and recognizing that the things I was saying was not helpful. So what could I change them to that might be helpful? You also work with some, I'm going to use air quotes, normal people, because I'm, yeah. I'm going to say that probably a lot of people who are listening to this podcast have children who play sports. We have kids in youth sports. And believe me, we're going to get to that because I have a lot of thoughts. But I, I'm not an athlete. I was a dancer growing up. I, I never played a team sport. So what, you know, what are the things that normal people can take away from mm-hmm. this, this sort of practice? 
Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, I one of my biggest contracts right now is actually with a cybersecurity company. Uh, it's called ReliaQuest, and I work with all of their employees there. Who these are normal people doing normal jobs, everyday things. They're not on the TV every four years at the Olympics, or they're not pro athletes making millions of dollars. And if we think about it from a very practical sense, I think the easiest thing, the easiest way to think about it is. Where are you holding yourself back? So what is it in your life that you're really wanting to accomplish, but maybe you're afraid to put yourself out there, or maybe you're unable to deal with failure very well, or perhaps it's you know, dealing with adversity or mistakes, or maybe it's relationships. So, you know, athletes have coaches, humans have bosses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know, Penn, that your boss is Kim. We got that one. Okay. <laughs> Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so maybe it's relationships and things like that. And so if we think about it, this is the way I like to describe it is a lot of athletes or a lot of people, we perform every in everything that we do every single day. We perform at our jobs. We perform in our relationships. We perform driving. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. that's a heck of a performance. But our minds are never absent from our performances. So our minds are going to control. They're going to dictate. It's going to put us in situations or put us in these places where it helps us and our performance is what we want it to be or need it to be, or it hurts us. And so if we think of it from this perspective of we are always training our mindset, always, mm -hmm. every time we think about something, every time we do something, our minds are, we are training our mindset. And if we can train our mindset deliberately, then we can perform better no matter what yeah. that performance is, whether you're a professional lead athlete or you're just an everyday you know, stay at home mom who's just doing her best to keep the family together and the house running and get the kids to all their events. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I went to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. You've already grabbed a few things for our next beach trip, right? I grabbed the tiered maxi dress in black and you know what it has. Well, if it's you, because you want to have like the pockets, right? The pockets. Yeah. I'm already thinking of grabbing two more in lilac and blue because once you find one thing yeah. you like, you just have to get it in multiple colors. Plus, lightweight and and breathable at half the cost I'd pay at another retailer. All right, friends, it is time to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash holderness for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Quince. Q 
Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Holderness to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Holderness. Okay, listeners, as you know, we talk a lot about ADHD on our show. And how to love and support those who have it. And nobody does it better than my lovely wife, Kim. Oh, thanks, Penn. Yeah, one thing about ADHD, especially for kids, is that the feeling of boredom can be especially intense. That's for sure. And one place most kids struggle with boredom is in the car ride. Yeah, when you're in that ride, you may want to whip out the smartphone or the tablet, and it can be an intense need whether your kid has ADHD or not. They get sucked right in, and they receive those shots of dopamine straight to the dome. When I want to play music or listen to a podcast, I get a little worried about inappropriate words or messaging, so it's not always easy agreeing on what to listen to. Right, so Kim and I want to share with you a new podcast we discovered called Wild Interest, and it's got something for all of us. That's right. Wild Interest is the first and only podcast out there created and hosted entirely by kids. It covers so many fun and interesting topics from what is a leap year to the solar eclipse to an NFL quarterback. It's funny and interesting enough to even hold Penn's ever-wandering attention. And that's saying something. Give it a listen. Find Wild Interest anywhere you get your podcasts. I am fascinated by the zone. Okay. And I know you know all about the zone. I know that you and Steph Curry have done a TED talk on the zone, which is fascinating to me. 20 years ago. So for those of you who don't know, the zone is that feeling you get, and it doesn't have to be in sports when everything is just clicking for you. It comes naturally. The world almost slows down around you. You throw the ball up and it goes in the basket. You hit a tennis ball and it goes over exactly where you want it to. You're dancing and you you nail a grand jeté or something like that, right? And sports psychologists have kind of, they've grasped onto it. I, I remember a doctor telling me that physiologically, like your shutter speed and your eyes get better and your pupils dilate and all this stuff. And they, they train on like how to get in the zone. Like here's how you get in the zone. I thought that your theory about it was very refreshing because you put it back on the development of a skill set and a mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, not to put words in your mouth, but what's the best way to get in the zone? Yeah. You know, that's such a great question. I get asked that all the time. And I will say the zone is so elusive, Yeah, right? It's one of those things that you can't just flip a switch and enter the zone. And as soon as, as far as an athletic performance anyway, as soon as you recognize you're there, you're out of it. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those experiences that while you're in it, it's the most amazing, fully engaged, fully immersed, high level performance. Time feels distorted. Everything slows down. You can't do any wrong, anything wrong. You know, it's a beautiful thing when it happens. But again, it's that mindset, that mental awareness of it that makes it so challenging because you can't just turn it on. And as soon as you're aware, it gets turned off. So how do you find it? That's the dream, right? That's Mm -hmm. what everyone's looking for. And there's no set way to find it. So again, you can't just flip the switch and get into it. But the more you practice the correct mindset, and I'll explain that in just a minute, the more you practice that correct mindset, the more likely you'll achieve it. But I do want to say there's no guarantee. There's never a perfect, there's always a better. So you can get closer to it and closer to it and closer to it all the time, but you can't just decide, oh, I'm going to be in the zone today. And then you're there, (laughs) right? I wish it was that easy, but practicing the mindset. So let's go there. Cause I think that's really what you're looking for, Penn is what is that mindset? So 
part of it, it has to come with, it starts with, from an athletic perspective anyway, the physical skills. If you don't have the physical skills necessary to achieve the task or whatever the goal is, whatever the mission is, you're probably not going to get into the zone, right? So you have to have the skills. I'm I work with a ton of golfers. I walk the golf course with them. We go through some different scenarios and stuff. I'm a terrible golfer. I will never get in the zone golfing because I just don't have the physical skills to be there, right? So it starts with the physical skills. You got to put in the physical reps to be able to accomplish whatever it is that you're working on. The second thing is there, there does have to be an element of confidence. And that confidence in this regard is that your skill set meets the challenge. So the challenge, like if your skill set's a nine, the challenge is a 10. So it's just a little beyond what you think you can do, but you're confident that you can, you can achieve this. You can get there. You've put the time in that kind of thing. So if it's too big of a gap between where your skill set currently exists and what you're looking for, what's necessary in that moment, you're probably not going to get there. So it has to be just challenging enough to push you into those moments But then the mindset of that comes from uh, embracing the challenge, wanting it, the grit, going after it, like, let's do this, let's go, you know, like that kind of a mindset coupled with confidence that you're capable of achieving whatever that might look like. And then this is the one that might surprise people, a pure enjoyment of what you're doing. Mm. If you're not having fun, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you can be fully immersed and fully engaged in something, but not in flow, not in the zone. Yeah. You know, that almost, that brings me back to something I mentioned earlier. And, And this is, this is my Ted talk. I think youth sports is out of, out of hand. (laughs) So I have a 16 year old and a 13 year old. And it it appears to me from where I sit, that you can't just be a regular student athlete anymore. Penn um, is volunteering and coaching a team and our kids are not associated with this team, a basketball team. And they are, there is a team, they're picking 13 basketball players, 90 children showed up. And according to him, most of them are good enough to be on this team. But, and they are also, and they are all on AAU teams. They're all, every single one of them. And they're all so good. So that's like the heartbreaking part of like making cuts and like, how do you do that? But you can't show up how we showed up in middle school. Like you said, you played every sport. The kids yeah. aren't doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like it's putting a lot of unnecessary stress on our kids out there. What are you seeing as a sports psychologist with these with the ath- yeah. young athletes right now, I couldn't agree with you more, Kim. I think it's a huge problem the way that we are currently running youth sports, and there's so much science and research that that supports this idea. That I mean, it's probably been over the past decade that it's mostly been based on the physicality of specializing in sports Mm -hmm. and that physicality. What we know through all the research is that it increases the likelihood of injury. It increases the likelihood of injury requiring surgery. So I know 12 year old baseball players who are having Tommy John surgery, which is a surgery of the elbow. I know one as well. Yeah, that's yeah. What? Yes. And there's no 12 year old that should be throwing that much it's, to it, be it, having that yeah. kind of surgery. Well, it comes from throwing curveballs, and curveballs are banned and, and people throw them anyway, because it gives you an advantage. That's right. So yeah. 
Exactly. So we're putting too much emphasis on performance from a mental perspective. So just recently, some of the newest science is also including what we're doing to the kids mentally by putting them in these positions. We are increasing the likelihood of burnout. We are increasing the likelihood of mental health disorders because, and here's like the big thing that's coming out right now, is that because we are putting so much pressure on these kids and they're 100% 100% identity is as a an athlete in one sport. So I am a baseball player. I am a soccer player. And then they get these injuries and all of a sudden they can't compete. And what does that mean for this mm. developing brain that doesn't have, you know, the adult perspective and rationale to be able to, to handle this type of thing? And then the other thing that a lot of parents don't recognize, and I think this is really key, when I go do parent talks at high schools, I I talk about this statistic all the time. Anybody can look this up, go to NCAA.org, and you can find, it's usually two years behind, but you can find how many kids played high school sports in all the major sports, how many of them actually got a college scholarship, and what is the percentage of kids who actually Hmm. get the scholarship, and it is less than 1%. Yeah. It's... Yeah. And a lot of parents also don't recognize that not every scholarship is a full ride, right? We have headcount sports and we have uh, partial scholarships. So if you're in a headcount sport, such as football, basketball, gymnastics, women's volleyball, then you're going to get a full ride. But baseball players, hockey players, lacrosse players, you're getting partial scholarships. If anything, your kid might get books played for, paid for, and that's it. So We are doing a huge disservice to our kids by forcing them in these year-round specialization sports and putting so much pressure on them that they don't know how to handle. Their brains aren't capable of that. We've lost the element of play and fun. And I think this brings one more point that I think is really interesting on this topic is the latest theory on why kids are spending so much time gaming, like on the computer and consoles and online gaming kind of stuff is because it's the one place that parents haven't stepped in yet and kind of forced control like Ah. we have in youth sports. So they get their freedom where they can play with their friends and they can go anywhere they want to go in the game and they can trash talk each other and not get in trouble for it or, you know, play in these ways that are creative that we've taken away from youth sports because the parents have come in and controlled it. So, Kim, I am with you 100 percent. I think it is a massive problem. I I can't I know what the solution is, but we're not going to be willing to do it. What is it? We need to offer opportunities to play. We need to just let them like get a bunch of kids like Sandlot Baseball. Yeah. Go grab your friends and go to the baseball field and come up with a game. Well, we don't have a bat or a ball. Figure it out. Get yeah. a stick and a rock. That's what we did. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm going to advocate. Yeah. I, like, I think you're right. But I'm going to advocate for the parents out there who are doing the best they can to help their children with what they want. Because just like applying for college, there there is an in there. There is obviously an imbalance in kids who want to play for their team and kids who can play for their team. I just saw this in the tryouts, right? Mm-hmm. One of the ways that parents are combating that is by starting their own travel team, starting their own teams and like making sure that their kids can be a part of it. I know a lot of parents who have done it. I am also one of those parents who has done that. It's so to me, that's, that's creating an opportunity, but also you're putting them in an organization that's selling the hope for like a college team, which is also, as you just said, very unrealistic when it comes to the NCAA. 
So that's right. So uh, exactly. All right. So, yeah. so if anything, yeah. And I'm with you. So I have two kids also, mine are 19 and 17, a little older than yours. And my whole philosophy with them when they were younger was exposing them to as many different things as I possibly could with the hope that they would find something that they loved. I'm a sports girl. So of course I was hoping it was a sport, but for both of them, it ended up being theater, right? So it was something that wasn't even, it wasn't a sport, but yet they're so active in theater and they get the discipline and they get the drive and they get all the things that we want them to get from sport can be found elsewhere. But I would say to your point, Penn, like the kids want to play the sports too. It's not just the parents all the time. Right. It's the kid who really yeah. wants to. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in fairness, it, it is, it is, we're participating in the system just to be clear. Like absolutely, we, we're participating mm-hmm. in the system, and I and I'm seeing that, you know, my son is he's he's on the school basketball team, but then he played soccer. He he'd never played soccer before, and it just so happened that he's like, I think I'm in eighth grade. I'm going to try out for the soccer team, and cool. but because but because in our area, all of the kids who play club soccer aren't allowed to play for their school. So it yep. makes it accessible for my kid who's never played since he hasn't played since he was four. So I was like, that's great. Like I, he got a mm-hmm. chance to play, but a number of kids were like, nope, basketball tryouts are around the corner and they went home and they, and it's just, you have to do what you want to do. Everybody's doing the best they can for their family, but it's just, I think the amount of stress can't be good. I mean, we're seeing, we saw it's Simone not. Biles, we saw Naomi Osaka who take very public breaks and I celebrated that. We celebrated mm-hmm. that. But at one point, not all stress is bad. In fact, I think the joy of the sport is like this really safe stress these kids can have. But at yes. what point with our kids should we say, you know what, it's time to, let's take a break. Let's go try a theater class or let's go try a improv class or something like that. Like at what point yes. should a parent like remove the kid from the situation. Right. Yeah. So I would say, I mean, it's not going to be one answer for everyone, but as a parent really paying attention to your kid and you'll know when it becomes too much for them, if they are crying because they're so stressed about it, or if the, the devastation is too great on too many occasions, it might be time to do something different. It's different for everyone. But the other thing we got to remember too, is that one of the things we want our kids to learn through sport is how to handle disappointment and failure, Mm -hmm. right? That's a really good lesson to learn because they will have that their entire lives. So I I do want to take that message and go back to what you were saying, Penn, which is, you know, what do we do if the, as parents, you know, and you were talking about all the parents are starting their own travel leagues. Don't start a travel league, start a rec league and just let the kids go out. Sure. It's competitive, They're going to lose. They're going to make mistakes and screw up, but the pressure isn't the same and help them continue to love the sport. I've had parents come to me to work with their kids because they're like, oh, my kid's going to be the next messy or (laughs) right. Whoever it is, my kid's the next one. Okay, cool. But they don't want to play anymore. Yeah. But why do you think they don't want to play anymore? Right. I mean, it's because they've lost the love of the game. They've lost the enjoyment. And as parents, we can facilitate that for them by putting them in a still competitive situation, allowing them to do what they love to do on a level that they love to do it, not the level that we as parents think is important for them to get this college scholarship, which is all the travel teams and the comp teams. Yeah. And, All the coaches are going to tell you to specialize and your kid's never going to make it if they don't. But if you look at some of the statistics too, a lot of the kids who do make it did not specialize. Yes. 
So there are, you can find some statistics online of even professional athletes, most professional athletes, and I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but they do have statistics for each of the major sports. A large majority, I want to say it's greater than 80% of those athletes were multi-sport athletes in high school. So yeah. The ones who actually make it don't specialize early and they keep playing because they love to play, not because they were forced to or there was pressure or mom and dad said, hey, you got to get a college scholarship. And I do think there are such benefits. We're talking about the stress of sports. There are such benefits like dealing with disappointment. I one of my Facebook friends from high school, you know, she just shared it. You know, her daughter was, was in the state championship soccer game and I think I'm getting the story right. And it came down to penalty kicks. And I'm not a soccer mm. player, but I feel like that's very stressful. And yes, her daughter kicked the kick or did the shot or whatever they say. What I don't know the sports You're words. doing great. Honey. Okay. That won the game. And they rushed the ah. field. But my heart immediately went to the goalie. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh. The, obviously, the goalie had played an amazing game. Or keeper? Mm. Goalie? You're fine. They're okay. both both acceptable. Okay, both acceptable. I don't know. I watched Ted Lasso, and that's about it. But <laughs> I was like, that car ride home mm -hmm. must have been heartbreaking. Yes. So, but I mean, I so that's. I mean, I want to be happy for my friend's daughter, but also I'm like, oh my gosh. So, what are our kids supposed to? How do we work? How do I get? How do you get your kid through that disappointment and learn oh. something out of it? This is my favorite question. I think this is where we as parents can do better than what we're currently doing, even if you are on the comp travel, all that kind of stuff. And I want to start the car ride home is the most important time. Mm. Absolutely the most important time because it's the only time that you have where it's just you and your kid or maybe your family. And it's the only time to process that. And I want to take it back and just put it into perspective for the parents for a minute. So imagine you're at work. You have a really hard day at work. Maybe your internet goes down, computer goes down. You had something big that was due. Your boss comes down hard on you. It's just one thing after another. And we've all had those days where it's just one thing after another. And we just can't wait to get home. We feel terrible. Imagine you go out in the parking lot, you get in the car. And as you're getting in the car, your boss gets into the passenger seat of the car and continues to berate you the entire way home. Why did you do that? I can't believe it turned out that way. What were you thinking? What? Imagine what that experience is like, yeah. right? That's exactly what some people do to their kids, right? They get into the car and they continue to admonish or berate or tell their kids they could have done better. And quite frankly, you know, when we have bad days, we're already beating ourselves up in some way. We're already struggling with whatever happened. Our kids are doing the same thing. So, and I love Kim that your heart went to the goalie because you're right. That goalie was probably just really in a bad space and had an amazing game. Amazing. If they got to a tie at the yeah. end of the game, then that, that keeper had done really well. And is just that one shot. Right. Right. So what do we do? The, the thing not to do is don't coach, don't berate, don't admonish in any way. The best thing that the parent can do is ask your kid when you get in the car, how can I help you? Mm. Or the other question is, do you want to talk about it? And provide an open space, yeah. a free space, a safe space to allow your child to lead the conversation, not yeah. you. 
allow your child because just like us, when we have bad days, sometimes we just need time to decompress and we don't want to talk about it just yet. So don't force your kid if they don't want to, but make sure they know that you are available to them. If they want to talk about it at any time, they just need to come to you. The other thing, no matter what kids want their parents to be proud of them and to know that they they're accomplishing something. And so whatever language makes sense for your family, it might be, hey, you know what? I know that was really hard on you, but I'm so proud of the way you played up until that time. Or even, you know what? I know this is really hard for you, but I got to tell you, I love watching you play. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. And then allow the child to lead the conversation or to let you know I need some time. Yeah, the the method that I've learned because I've I've been I've been in quite a few of these carpools <laughs> because I've got good athletes. I've got good athletes for kids, and so cool. good athletes yeah. for kids are not going to be happy every time they get in a car. It's in fact, if you're if you're doing it right, it's about fifty fifty. That's what I've learned. You don't want to be beating people all the time. You don't want to be losing all the time. And one thing I've learned to say is when you're ready. Um, that's that's been my exact language. Is just when when you're ready to talk about it. We can talk about exactly. it. I yep. think the the feelings of love and pride that that comes pretty naturally to me because I do feel a tremendous amount of pride watching them. We couldn't do the stuff win, they do. Lose whatever. Yeah, they're they're just they're just better people than me. So that <laughs> that part's easy. I, I I I definitely find a way to swallow feedback at the, at that time. But I also think like we learned this in our book about fighting. Like when you're when your body's system is on alert you know when you're when you're really jacked up like when you and i are in fights there is a de-escalation period that we have sometimes it takes about five minutes because when when you fight like you you actually surrender the broken area of your brain that controls speaking it seizes up and it's it stops working correctly and so i think that probably happens to a kid who has very strong feelings maybe even to a parent who has strong feelings so i i've told both of my kids i'm going to get off my step stool here because you're not interviewing me not a soapbox but a step stool yeah it's a step stool for me i think soapboxes aren't as as safe as step stools okay i i believe before the match starts or sometime like it could be in between like one of these points like hey this is the language. I, I want you to ask me for feedback and I'm going to give it to you whenever you want it. I'm always going to have it, but I'm not going to give it to you unless you ask for it. And I, and that way I don't say it to them after the, in the carpool ride either. And it's gotten yes. to the point now where my kids will say, okay, I'm ready to talk about the game. And I tell them that, and then a totally different thing. They say, okay, I'd like some feedback now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's usually more rare. Well, we only have one kid that asks for feedback. I have zero feedback. I have, I have, I have, I have two kids who ask for feedback. Uh, well, not for, I guess yeah. they never ask feedback for me because I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, okay. So how much should we then be as parents? So by the way, our kid plays basketball and he is on a team that parents used to go watch the practices, which fine. But they're literally saying like, you can't do this anymore because the parents would then be yelling stuff, which is yes. just like, anyway. Mm. So we want to put our, we want to expose our kids to have a healthy level of stress, right? Like the, I think sports does a beautiful job of this, but how do we know, like, what is the line of what's too much? You had said, you know, if they're crying about stuff that, but like, when should we be pushing them? Like I, there are a lot of kids who just don't want to get into, like your kids are into theater. They don't want to do, they don't want to find anything. They just want to play video games all day, which video games are fine. But like, how do we push our kids 
into something without being too much. Is that making sense? Because there's plenty of kids. We get a lot of questions. They're like, my kid doesn't play a sport, is not involved in theater, not involved in anything, and I need them to do something. How do we get our kids right. to do the, th- the something? Yeah. So it's obviously easier when your kids are younger. If you start when they're younger, I I did this with my kids. So I actually, I spent 10 years as a single mom. And so raising the two kids, I'm like, okay, I've got to make this simple for me as a parent, Mm -hmm. but also meaningful for them as kids. So I had two rules. The first rule is you have to do something other than, other than school. Yeah. The second rule is you have to be physically active for health reasons. So if that is a sport that kills two birds with one stone, great. That's your thing. If you're going to do something like maybe you want to play the piano or something, great. But then maybe you're going to ride your bike to the piano teacher to piano lesson and back. So you're getting your physical activity, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously, if you do that when they're younger, it's going to be helpful for you because then they grow up with that expectation. Now, when they're older, though, you are still their parent and you can still put the expectation on them, but you have to you have to couch it in a little bit different way. You have to talk about it in a different way. And so the way I would encourage you to talk about it is, you know, we're not raising boys and girls, we're raising men and women. And so thinking about what do I want my man or woman child to be like as a functional adult, what does that look like? Well, it means they have some responsibilities. It means they do need to leave the house and have something that they are required to go do to teach them discipline, to teach them the things that we want them to learn so that they're not living in our basements when they're 40, right? right? So I would absolutely encourage the parents out there who are struggling with this. You know, the kid just wants to sit at home and play video games all the time is you do one of two things. You either promote getting outside or you discourage the video game usage, right? So depending on which one your kid is going to respond to more, I'm more about the promotion, right? right? So you can play video games, but you also have to a chore a day, rake the leaves, mow the yard, something like that and getting them out of the house. And it can still be related to the house. It doesn't have to be joining others though. The socialization aspect is one of the best parts about anything outside of school for kids. They need to go out and make friends. That's a whole different topic, but getting them out and realizing that things you're required to work in order to get paid. So another thing, don't just give allowances. Kids should have to work for that allowance, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, if they're sick or something, that's might be a different story, but, you know, giving chores, like you get paid for your chores, you do your chores, then you get what, what you're supposed to get, right? So encouraging those kinds of behaviors can be incredibly helpful. So it doesn't, again, I'm a sports girl, but it doesn't have to be a sport, but we want our kids to be functioning adults. What does that mean? It means that they're doing something other than just sitting around playing video games. Right. So as a parent, requiring them to do something, which is really hard the older they get. But if they're still living in your house, you still have some, you still have some parental figure responsibilities that you can use in those regards. Kim mentioned Ted Lasso a few, a few minutes ago. You're a, you're a sports psychologist type of person. (laughs) What has Ted taught you about sports? Ooh, he's taught me about sports yeah like did you a a lot of it's not about sports i know that but i feel like there's a unique intersection of of the brain the mind the emotions and the sports in that show i'm I'm assuming you've watched it oh yeah absolutely of course a couple of times actually yeah it's it's, it's, it's one of our Uh, favorites how can it not be once you've seen it you have to keep watching Mm -hmm. it's too good 
So I don't know that I've learned it, but I would say it verified some thoughts that I've had over the years, which is the best way to lead is through love. If you truly love the people you're leading and you're you're doing this from a genuine interest in helping them become the best versions of themselves, that's when you are going to get the best version of people, right? And I just loved Ted Lasso's character in, he just cares about human beings. And to me, what's greater than that? I mean, maybe that's because I saw, I see some of that in me. I care so much about the people I work with and I probably use the word inappropriate a lot, but I love the people I work with. I really do. I fall in love with them. I just want them to succeed. I'll be the one I can't I can tell you stories of me being at the Olympics way off in a tunnel somewhere where no one can see me crying like a baby Aww. with a huge smile on my face because an athlete that I worked with is on the podium. And there's no greater feeling for me than knowing I helped that person be their best. And I did so through love because I truly cared about them. And so I think from a leadership perspective, that's what I loved the most, but it might be because it was personal. But I just love the way his character really cared about the people in the show and all the players and even accepting Nate back in. Right. Like, I mean, just even the people that had burned him, just, he just continues to love. That's a great answer. That is a great answer. I love that. And so I do want to know, because you have worked with so many high level, high achieving people Mm -hmm. and not just athletes, but, but let's talk about all those, you know, those Olympians and those high achieving athletes. I'm imagining in different parts of their life, they still do amazing things too. I think once you get in that mindset of, you know, an achievement. So what is the through line? What is the thing you see in all of those people that we could learn that as a normal person who just started playing pickleball and I got my ass kicked by a 75 year old woman last week, what is the (laughs) through line? No, I really did. She came out with like knee braces and elbow. Well, like you can't elbow you can't beat a person with a knee brace in pickleball. I know. That's like and that, she walked immediately out you like know they're full kick your silver ass. hair with a. Yeah. She was wearing a visor at night, and I was like, oh damn, okay. Yeah. But then I was like, You're oh, serious. I got this. I got this. I I mean, she, her. I couldn't even like react fast enough. It was so bad. Anyway. <laughs> What? I love this story. I kind of want to hear more details. I like want a picture of this woman. Oh, That's amazing. My, Good I, for her. She's amazing. And but she was like, "Hi, nice to meet you." And then my, you know, my partner hadn't played in a while, and then she and her partner, who is of similar age, and it was not even a respectable score. Like I had to tell oh. my score to like our little team captain afterwards. I was like, "It's fifteen to four. What? I was like, 15 to four. I'm sorry, what? I was like, 15 to four. Like, we didn't even stand. It was, but then we could laugh about it. But it was really, anyway, not high achieving athlete here. But what's the through line that you're seeing of all your high achieving clients? So you're, you're, you're asking the through line in terms of not just in their sport, but in the other Mentally, things that they do. Yeah. I mean, just like, what is the thing that what they, they have bring? in common? What do they all have in common? What are they bringing? Cause I'm imagining the person who's standing on the podium is also probably pretty buttoned up in other areas of life. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say probably two things, commitment and perseverance. Those are probably the two things. And the way they show up is they make, um, they're ordinary people who do extraordinary things, right? But they're everyday people just like the rest of us. 
but they do extraordinary things because their level of commitment is greater than most people's, which means they'll put their heads down. They'll continue to work even when they don't want to. They don't feel like getting out of bed either, but they don't go because they're motivated. They go because they're committed to something that's much deeper than a current situation, right? So it's the pandemic. It's shut down. I'm going to figure out a way to keep training, even if it looks mm-hmm. different, right? Because because I'm committed to that aspect. And then the perseverance piece, I would say, is really about recognizing, you know, so tell me I can't do it. I'm going to find a way. Put a roadblock. I will go over, under, through. It might look different than everybody else, but I will continue to go and find a way. And I think they have that commitment and perseverance on a different level. Not that the three of us here aren't committed and that we don't persevere, but I don't think we do it to the same degree that Mm -hmm. they do it. That might verify something you said before, but I want to point out that, you know, we were just talking about how kids need to have more fun when they're playing these sports. And you just listed two things that aren't terribly fun. Yeah, I love that you just said that, because I would say if you go back, if you ask those high level athletes when you were 10 years old, would you say you had the same commitment and perseverance? They would say yes. And that is fun to me. I enjoy that. Okay. That's the difference. But also let me point out too, they're, they, I'm sure they they are gifted physically genetic. Like I could, as somebody who's five foot four, I, if I desperately at age 10 wanted to be in the WNBA, probably not, no matter what my commitment and perseverance physically, I'm probably not going to get there. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. so there is, there is like a little bit of genetic lottery too, right? I would say luck does come into play some, but I know at least one very closely worked with Olympic athlete who had zero physical abilities, but had the heart and the desire and the commitment and wanted to do it in that sport and found a way to do it and ended up winning two medals at the Olympics. I do think it's important. So it's possible in some cases, depends on the sport, depends on the person. I do think luck has a play because I would also say with her, she found a coach who believed in her and her desire, even though her skills weren't where they needed to be. And so that coach really helped her get to where she needed to be. I just want to make sure parents don't hear that part. I think we need to go back to the thing that Penn pointed out is that the commitment and perseverance were fun to that athlete because I think some people might hear all you have to do is work really hard and then sign their kids up for extra batting practice. Okay. Yeah. We don't want to do that. Yeah. And no, but I think it's, (laughs) but no, no, we're not cutting it. I think it's important because I think there, I do know kids that I do know kids that they may lack the height to play basketball, but I know this one kid, not my son, but one he spends hours and hours and hours a day in the driveway shooting and shooting and shooting. And because it is fun to him because he would rather do nothing else. That's right. Whereas my kid, he enjoys it, but he's not gonna, he's not going to go out there for three hours a day. Anyway, that was a, that's very, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Are they doing it on their own or are you forcing them to do it? That's a big question. If you're there, if you're forcing them, they're not committed and persevere. They don't have that level. And you can't, you can't make someone want something that they don't already want. Right. So I get athletes, I get coaches all the time. How can I motivate my athletes? They just don't seem to want it. They just don't want to put the time into it. I'm like, well, you can give all the speeches in the world you want to. You can show them why they should be more motivated. But if they truly don't want to be there, there's nothing you can do to force them to want to be there. Right. So We have to pay attention to that, too. I could talk to you for hours. Again, this is let's do it. Let's just uh, this is all just like this this is all just, you know, free advice for us on this podcast. But I'm I'm assuming 
I, I know that our audience is so much like us. So I know, although we came into this conversation really wanting to know as middle-aged parents how we could, you know, optimize and achieve, and it ended up being a, a lot about youth sports, I think that people listening here will find great yeah. value. Yeah. Okay, where can people find you and more about, about what you do? Yeah, thanks for that question. So my website's headstrongconsulting.com, and that's where you can find all kinds of different information. And we're on all the social media platforms. My company is Headstrong Consulting, and our tag is at Headstrong Team. My personal tag is at Headstrong Doc, D-O-C, like doctor. And then I also host two podcasts also if people are interested in this kind of information. So the one from our company is called Becoming Headstrong. And then I have another one called No Show Dogs that I have a co-host, and we're both from ReliaQuest Cybersecurity Company, and we basically interview high performers and talk about, our last question's always the same, where we talk about what were the things you were willing to do that others weren't that helped mm. you succeed? And there's been some really fascinating answers. We've had some great guests there. Okay. We'll put those in the show notes. Uh, thank Thanks. you so much for your th free lesson. Free therapy. Thank, thank you, you for the free therapy. Uh, no, I, seriously, I, I think thank you for educating everybody about performance when it comes to athletics and really helping us break it down, because I think it's really important as a parent. I think it's really important as a team member in real life, even as a family member to, to think about these principles. I couldn't agree more. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but yes, I agree. <laughs> thank you so much. Just so you guys know, we hit stop recording uh, with dr nicole there and then we talked to her for another 30 minutes <laughs> and we we do this all the time this is really selfish we just want free therapy yeah well i mean look again she is a professional sports psychologist she deals with elite athletes she doesn't necessarily deal with people's issues with youth sports in their community <laughs> yeah. but uh, but she gave some great insight and you and i are we're living this in that sense, and I bet a lot of parents are, we have kids who are interested in athletics. We have kids who've felt disappointment. I have become a coach yeah. of not just my kid, but other people's kids. And I've learned what it's like to be responsible uh, for the emotional development and well-being of those kids. So hearing from someone with that much experience was very valuable. Yeah. And my instinct as a non-athlete is the minute my kids experience stress and disappointment and it looks like they're not having fun. I'm like, okay, we're done. We're done. We're gonna do something else now. And apparently that's not always the best course of action. So, well, but she also said like, it's not going to work if you're not having fun. And it's also not going to work if you don't have perseverance and commitment. Mm -hmm. And by say don't work, I mean, get to like the highest level. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm not sure how to present that to my kids because, every, like, I don't want anyone's dreams to be narrowed down. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? I don't know. I just, I, and, but neither one of our kids have aspirations to go be in, you know, high, like Olympic athletes. So I just want them to be normal happy. Yeah. I just want them to be like normal kids that play normal sports. Anyway, but anyway, we can love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.